just take a moment to breathe in and breathe out and just let the let the worry and the anxiety go as you feel the air leave your nostrils and and replace it with the peace that comes from God as the Holy Spirit fills you as you breathe in. So speak to us, great Lord, great God, and um, help us to, to learn to love in the way that you love. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So um, this text of Scripture is quite remarkable. And uh, I'm just going to pull it up on um, my iPad. Give me a moment. While I do that, all right. So you can see uh, this is as as I was thinking about this season that we're in. I started with Hebrews one last week, and um, and this week I just felt this is one of the most wonderful passages and profoundly, deeply encouraging. So I thought let's have a bit of a think about this and. Um, and what it tells us. So uh, I dropped in on the Tuesday night small group and we talked a bit about this and others. And then in our group on Thursday night, we talked about it. And I thought I wanted to keep thinking about it because I find it so very challenging and helpful. And um, what I wanted to, what I want you to notice um, in verse 24, well, actually, I'll give you, I'll give you an idea of the structure first. So the structure is there are two statements in here that tell us uh, about who we are and and what the nature of reality is. Um, verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, since, so this is, this is what starts the sentence, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. So what that, what that is saying to us is, hey, we, uh, we can be confident, we can be deeply connected uh, to to God, to the very center of God's being that is in for, for everybody prior to the death of Jesus, the most holy place was an unreachable place. God was a consuming fire whom you did not approach. And now we can come into the most holy place, into God's presence in the very same way that a toddler would run and jump onto their parents' Uh, lap or demand their attention and just come rushing in. So that's that's one description, a part of reality. And then it says in verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so that's the other description of the way the world is, since we've confidence to enter the most holy place and we've got a great high priest, what does a priest do? A priest ensures that we're welcomed in the house of God, that our, that our shame and our guilt and our mess-ups are covered over and that God is there for us. And then it tells us, gives us three uh, commands, or uh, yeah, yeah, commands, um, and they're three lettuces. So in a, if this was a kid's talk, and, and it isn't, but you could imagine a lettuce. I was going to actually go and get some nice big iceberg lettuce and have three of them, and, but you can just picture a nice big iceberg lettuce. First lettuce, uh, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. So, yep, we've got confidence. We've got a great high priest. Therefore, let's keep drawing near to God. 
Um, don't don't drift. Don't wander. There's there's a responsibility upon us to draw near to God. And then the second lettuce is let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. So. Um, you know, yep, we, we can come to God. We've got access to God. We've got a great high priest. Let's keep on drawing near and, and let's hold on to this hope. Um, uh, and it's not a hope of a vaccine or, or of uh, eradication of the virus or of economic security or of the good life. It's, it's holding to the hope that we have in Jesus that God, the creator, will make all things right, that he loves us, that we're cared for, that everything's going to be okay and that we're completely safe and secure in him, that we're uh, in an untouchably wonderful place. Okay, I mean, hold on to that, right? It's a, that's great. And then verse 24, there's a, a verse that is very interesting um, and it's the final letters. And let us consider. So um, I just realized I could have done this a little better. So this one is... Uh, let us draw near, let us hold unswervingly, and then let us consider. Now, I'm, I'm going to think a bit about this. We're going to think about this in a moment. You see that when when I've talked about this in the past and when if, you, if you're familiar with this passage, which I know you may not be because not all of us have been reading the Bible for that long, but if you are, and, and when I've talked about this with the various groups, I said, well, what are, what are, we, being, what are we being instructed to do here? And typically, what we start saying is, oh, we're being instructed to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're instructed to keep on meeting. And we're instructed to encourage each other. All of which is, that's, that's true, but true only secondarily. The actual instruction, the construct of the original language in which, which it is written, is that the command is this, let us consider... Let us consider how we may spur one another on with the result that love and good deeds uh, emerge. The, the command is to consider, to think. Okay. And not just to think about anything, but to think about how we can help uh, people love uh, and experience God's love. So... Um, you may think, well, what's the big deal about that? Why, why is that a big deal? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. Um, do you find it easy to behave and act towards somebody else in such a way that they grow spiritually and emotionally and relationally? So let me ask it another way. If you are partnered this morning, if you're married or you're in a, in a long-term relationship, do you, do you find it easy to change your partner? <laughs> what if they do something? What if, what if you see, I mean, what if, what if they do stuff that just you think, ah, oh, that's not helpful? How, how easy is it to relate to them to bring about change so that they can love someone a little better? Uh, that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, I can see the couples. You might want to just turn your video off and have a quick, you know, discussion amongst you. No, no, don't do that. I can see you exuding love towards each other. The couples are on screen. And if you talk to anyone who's been in a close relationship with someone for a long time, you go, it's actually not easy to know what love, 
what, how to relate to the other person in a way that will help them to grow in their capacity to love. And that's why in Hebrews, it gives us this incredible statement of who we are. We're, we've got access to God. We've got a great high priest. It's fantastic. We're going to hold on to our faith. We're going to keep doing all of this. And then he says, actually, you know what? If all this is going to work, you'd better think long and hard about how it is that you're going to spur each other on to love. Um, so uh, I'll tell you two. Um, there, there are uh, two typical strategies we employ um, when we want to change someone, because really that's what we're thinking about here, right? Like let's, you know, um, how how do we relate to someone? Well, if if we see someone doing something that is not loving, particularly not loving towards us, or we see a challenge in their lives. Um, the first thing we do is we tell them to stop, right? And that's common in the church, right? You, you come into a Christian community and you're doing something and stop doing this, okay? That's, that's the thing, right? Like um, maybe you've got a, a, a real issue with anger and, um, and so what's the answer? Well, just stop, just stop being angry, right? Have you ever lived with someone who has a real problem with anger or had someone in your office? Um, how does it work when you tell them just to stop being angry? <laughs> Maybe there's something deep in your life that you've been battling with for years. Um, maybe, you, maybe you struggle with anger. How helpful is it for you when someone close to you says, just stop? Um, maybe, maybe you've got a very, you know, maybe you've, maybe you're an addict of some sort, right? Uh, maybe you're an alcoholic. No one on this Zoom call would know because you hide it for who well. Um, how's it worked for you when being told just to stop drinking? It doesn't really work that well, does it? But very common, very common, very common. So when, uh, so so the other thing we do is uh, when when the just tell just telling someone to stop doing something doesn't work, the second strategy we adopt is what do you think that'd be? What's the what's the other thing we often say in churches or in communities or if, if someone if we're wanting to see behavior change in someone stop and or just try harder. Like the reason you're still a mess is because you haven't really tried enough. You haven't worked the program hard enough. So try harder. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're battling with an addiction uh, or compulsive um, use of pornography. Okay, well, and you're struggling to stop. Well, just just try harder. Read your Bible more. Come to church more. Um, put better passwords on your computer. Do whatever it is. Just just try harder. Maybe maybe you um, maybe you struggle with depression, and all your life you've just felt there's this this veil of grayness that sinks over you, and um, and uh, and. 
and you struggle with that. And, um, and maybe the answer you've been given is just try harder. You know, the, the reason you, you're still not doing well enough is you don't meditate enough, you don't pray enough, you don't um, believe enough. And this is common. This, 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 these, this is a common strategy. I was speaking with a person this week who is on their way to faith and they've had a, uh, they're recovering from uh, substantial trauma in their past in a variety of ways and they've been on a long healing journey and God's been doing a wonderful work in them. But they were sharing with me their experience in this sort of kind of new age positive psychology um, worldview. And they asked me what I thought, which is always a problem. You know, if you ask me what I think, I'm not going to hold back. And I said, in the end, the biggest problem with it is, like so much, it's a crushing burden because it says to someone who's, who's dealing with trauma, who's trying to make their life um, work, they, they basically say to you, just try harder, just keep on trying, work the program, buy our products, read our books, come on our retreats, meditate more, meditate more, meditate more. If you will only uh, work the program harder, you'll get better. I mean, when we all tend to do that, um, it, it drives me nuts as well, by the way, when we do that in the area of our physical health, particularly fighting uh, when, we, when you're dealing with someone with cancer, you know, the idea that, that just try harder, you know, it's battle and you've got to fight. And if you lose your battle, it's somehow because you didn't fight hard enough. And it's a terrible thing, but it's very human. So we all, there's a deep tendency in us to move to say, stop, try harder. These, this doesn't work. This just manifestly actually makes things worse. So what I wanted to do was think together about, uh, in the, in the um, 45 minutes I still have to speak for, uh, and I'll try and condense it down, um, I want to think about how, what, what does it actually mean to love, to consider to consider what it is. And I want to suggest this, that if we're to consider how we can spur each other on to love, we've, we've got to understand how God has made us and, and what, what it is that about us that causes us to not do the things we want to do and then to do the things that we don't want to do. And I want to suggest this, that that it's really very important to understand that we are fundamentally good. We are all, every single human being in the world is fundamentally good. We are made in the image of God. There is a, there is a, the, the core of ourselves is, uh, is marred by sin, but is fundamentally good. But in a dip, but this core self made in the image of God is part of a, a whole community of parts. So we all have parts. We're made up of parts. We're not a single unity. And we know this. Every, uh, every psychologist and, and thoughtful person who studied the human experience for a long time observes this from really from Plato onwards. The Bible talks about it. So... Um, the, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 on one reading of it says, you know, there's a part of me that wants to obey God and there's a part of me that doesn't. And isn't that true for all of us? There's a, there, we have multiple parts. We're used to talking about this. There's a part of me that 
loves you. There's a part of me that hates you. There's a part of me that wants to exercise. There's a part of me that wants to sit and watch the rest of Narcos Mexico season two and not get off the couch. There's a part of me that wants to serve you. There's a part of me that wants to serve me. Uh, and so what, when we think about what love is, what we've got to do is think about how do we understand this complex system of parts that constitute us and how do we bring uh, healing and love into those parts so that we can love? And it's, and it's completely different to saying stop or keep trying harder. And if you look at the text again, uh, let me pull that up. Um, if you look at the text, what you'll, see, you'll start to see some interesting things. And I will um, make some notes as we go. Um, uh, so the, the, what, what doesn't work is um, stop or try harder. Uh, what we have to understand is we are, uh, we are a multitude of parts. And uh, the, the start of learning what it is to love others is to understand these parts and understand how they all fit together and work together. And uh, so let's think about this. And what I'm going to do is present a, a way of conceptualizing this. Again, there's a whole bunch of Bible that can go into this. But, um, and, and sometimes people have said to me, and, and you may be thinking this, well, okay, Mark, we're, we're getting to the realm of psychology here. Um, just teach me the Bible. And I totally appreciate that. Um, but I am trying to. I'm trying to. What I want to do is show us that um, actually how we live out the truth of the Bible requires a deep understanding of the self. And there are resources to do this that are very helpful. Um, so w where this approach comes from is um, called IFS or Internal Family Systems. And um, I've talked about this before, and I just thought it's so helpful to talk about it again because it's so fundamental in how we consider how to love someone. And, and what IFS says is this, that you, we each have uh, here a sort of a, a core self. This is the part that is the image of God. And this is fundamentally good in all of us. But then we have a, a multitude of other parts of ourselves and um, some of these parts get really uh, burdened, um, full of pain, full of brokenness. Um, so we get all these parts here uh, that are, are burdened. What, what in IFS we call these exiles and, and these are parts that are full of pain and it could be the pain, the part of you that is... Um, the little, the little girl who's, who was always judged and criticized by her father because she was never skinny enough or pretty enough or smart enough. It could be um, uh, the little boy who grew up in a family where mum was, was fundamentally unsafe. She was herself addicted to perhaps alcohol and um, and completely unreliable in her parenting and physically violent towards you. And there's a little boy inside of you that's just 
wounded and scared and full of pain because of that. Um, and I'll just pick one more. You could be somebody who there's a there's a, a little kid inside of you who feels deep shame because of the way you were treated by maybe a grandfather or an uncle or maybe your own father um, and who took advantage of you and abused you. And so there's a, there's a little girl inside of you, uh, a part of you, that feels you deserved it, you, you were too attractive, too friendly, too responsive, too nice, and it was your fault that you were abused. And so as we go through life, we carry these parts of ourselves that are um, at the that 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 are very very painful. And so, what we do as human beings? Oh, and by the way, um, if if you want a biblical, which we don't have time to go into, if you want a biblical reading of this, you can read Genesis chapter three and the story of the of original the original disruption of relationships in these terms, and you can see uh, Adam and Eve and original humanity living this out. So we all have wounds. Um, and deep pain that is inflicted upon us by others and that is caused by our own uh, participation in sin in the world. What we then do is living with this level of pain is intolerable, so we, um, we develop what, in, uh, what, what, are called, what can be called protectors. Um, so, uh, and the, the job of the protectors in our lives, these are parts of us, that we develop whose job is to help us not feel this pain, right? So, um, and there are two kinds of protectors in life. Uh, there are um, firefighters and there are managers. Firefighters are those who, parts of us, that when... When the burdened part, the exile, acts up, when there's, when there's great pain here, maybe you start to feel great shame here, right? Then your firefighter jumps in and says, I've got to, I've got to do whatever it takes to stop the self being threatened, to stop, stop feeling this shame because, because there's a fear that this will overwhelm us. So the firefighters are typically things like um, anger, so somebody, you feel a bit of shame at home, your partner or your kid makes you feel shame, activates this exile, this part of you that, that feels dirty and inadequate and never enough. And instead of feeling that pain, what do you do? Well, you, your firefighter jumps in and says, and, and responds with great uncontrolled anger and perhaps even violence because out of my anger, if I, the anger will... An, an anger directed at you or the one who's made me feel shame or perhaps an innocent third party will help me not feel that shame and keep the exile away. Firefighters can be things like um, gossip, alcohol, drugs, eating disorders, uh, binging, um, uh, cutting, all kinds of things that we jump to to uh, help us not feel the pain. Uh, and they're typically very, very destructive and they're mobilized short-term. The managers are more proactive. And so managers are things like uh, that we are strategies we adopt proactively in the world to ensure that we never have to feel any of the pain that the burdened parts of ourselves hold. So, for example, um, why do some of us work too hard? Why, is, why are some of us addicted to work? Well, it could be because we really love work and we're engaged in something that is meaningful and we freely choose to do it and everyone around us is happy. 
or it could be that our workaholism, there's a part of us that says, I have to, I have to be perfect because if I, if I work hard enough, no one will ever reject me because I'll, I'll be perfect. They'll have no cause to ever reject me. So there's, there's the little girl inside of you whose dad uh, was never emotionally available, who always criticized you. So your strategy around workaholism is to say, I'll just work so that I'll be perfect so I'll never be rejected. Our managers often get um, a lot of reward in life. Uh, managers can be things like uh, other things. Work, uh, managers, um, there's a, in, in religion and in Christianity, there's a, a fascinating manager, um, the spiritualizer, which is the stop doing it or try harder. The spiritualizer is the manager that says, if I work the program of Christianity well enough and hard enough, if I've got the right theology and if I've got the right practice and if I just hang out with the right Christians and if I just do the right stuff long enough, then, uh, then I won't, then, then the exiles will stay away and, um, you know, it'll all be well with my soul. Now, why why say this well when you and i have to consider how we are to spur each other on to love what we actually need if we understand this picture of a person that no one is all bad no one is a people aren't a single person you're not a bad person who does bad things you're a, you're you're made in the image of god you have parts of you that are deeply wounded and as a result of which you do stuff that's actually counterproductive and damaging and unhelpful so what you got to do is consider you need two attributes um, when we think about each other in these terms and they're deeply biblical we need compassion for ourselves and for others and we need curiosity. So what do I mean by that? Well, compassion says, look, there's someone who, uh, who is in our church maybe who, who just does, keeps doing really dumb stuff. Maybe it's you. Maybe you keep pushing people away. Maybe you're just really critical. And, and you don't know why and you don't mean to be, but somehow you just, you can't keep this inner critic at bay. Okay, so what is, so the first thing is to have great compassion on you as a person. And you say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually made in the image of God and I've got, and I'm loved by God. So that takes us back to the first two parts of the passage. That, that we have, we have, God loves us so much that we have a, a great high priest who's given us access into the most holy place. So, God loves me as I am. God loves all my parts. God loves my core self. God even loves my protectors. Okay, but then you've got to be curious and you've got to say, okay, if, if, if I can get the love of God into my life, right? So this is where God, this is the since bits of the passage, right? Since this is true that in our core self we have access to God and God comes in and loves us, why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? And what we do is you can't just say, you can't just say, stop. You can't just say, try harder. Do you know what you've got to do? Do you know what the path to healing is? The, the way to, to real love and change is to bring, is to surrender your life so that Jesus enters your life 
the Holy Spirit, God, comes into your core self. And then from the inside out, bring each of the pain of these exiles to Jesus so that they can be healed and unburdened. This is, this is what Jesus does for us. For Jesus to be, and, and the earlier chapters in Hebrews make it clear, Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus takes upon himself our burdens, our shame, our fear, our rejection. He alone is the one who is uniquely powerful to unburden us. So the, the way to change is not to aim at modifying the firefighters or the managers, not to, not, to, not to work at that level. The Christian path to growth is to actually bring the deep parts of ourselves that are wounded and hurt and bring those to Jesus. And as we bring those to Jesus, then we can start to have a conversation with the other parts of ourselves and, and, and ask the firefighters to say, well, you know, respect what they do. So say you're, a, say you're an alcoholic. Um, and you, you've, you've drunk all your life because, because of the shame of abuse or some other trauma in your background. And you know, the part of you that is addicted to alcohol, why? Well, you go, that part of me was trying to protect me. It, had a, it was trying to do a good thing with a, with a terrible outcome. Uh, and now if, if the shame of my early childhood experiences and this internalized shame and this part can be unburdened, through loving contact with Jesus, then, then I don't need to drink anymore because, because the shame has been dealt with. And, and then there, there can be a path of actually getting into recovery and dealing with the physical consequences of alcoholism. But the, the spiritual, emotional, relational heart of what drives the addiction is now starting to be addressed. And the same with gossip or anger or anything. We start to say, I... I I think I understand. I can, I can understand what is really going on at the core of my being and, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus together working in my life and with me can unburden those parts of myself. And then when, when I start to find firefighters or managers being mobilized and jumping into action in myself or in others, I can approach them with great compassion and curiosity and say, why, why is it that you're doing what you do? Um, what, what are you trying to achieve? Because you don't need to do that. You can lay... You can, you can stop fighting, manager. You can stop fighting, firefighter, because actually the path of healing is, is actually found in Jesus, and that's the key. So um, compassion, curiosity, understanding, uh, understanding this, that, that the path to healing starts with having compassion on ourselves, right? Um, the, the, to, to understand that, that all the counterproductive, dumb, stupid stuff I do and have done, all the ways in which I fail to be the man that at the core of me I know I want to be, I don't have to do that anymore, <laughs> And, and the answer is to have Jesus, the very core of my being, come and love the parts of me that are just burdened and hurt and broken, hurt and broken and burdened by my own sin and by the sin of others. And then to, when I start doing dumb stuff, 
guys, take a moment to stop and breathe and think and say, I don't need to do that. And in our church, in your family, in your workplace, if you, if you have that compassion and curiosity about yourself, you see, you're not, you're not just going to jump into the stop or try harder mode of love, of behavior change for someone else, which inevitably is going to be crushing or judgmental and, and actually typically counterproductive. You're just going to trigger and activate someone else's manager or protector, you know, firefighter. You can start to have great compassion. You can say, why is my boss always angry? And what is it there? Why, why does the person in my small group... Um, never make themselves emotionally available to connect. You know, what are they protecting? What are they hiding from? And how does God want to heal that? Um, see, we start, to, we start to be able to build a genuinely inclusive and loving church where we don't have to, well, we don't have to make everyone like us. We don't have to control or pretend or crush people because we're really acting out of our own, our own fear, our own hurt, our own woundedness. We, any, anyone can come and be part of this because we're all on the same journey of healing, starting from the core that is made in the image of God that submits and surrenders to Jesus. Okay, so um, that's a lot. Now, I, uh, what I'm, what I'm going to suggest is uh, that we pray. But before we do that, I... I I'd like to take this further. There's a, I'll post some articles, but there's a book that uh, is worth thinking about. And I'm actually thinking in this next little while, um, if there's interest, I'd be very interested to do a book group, like a discussion group, book group around some of this stuff. And, um, and uh, this is the book. Hang on, I'll just uh, share... I'll, I'll put a link to it, but it's a book called All Together You. And if folk are interested in it um, over the next few weeks, uh, let me know and we'll get a little book group, discussion group, healing group together to explore in a little more detail using this book as a guide what spiritual growth looks like and, um, uh, and, and personal and spiritual transformation. So that's what I'm thinking uh, we could do. So I'm going to pause there and pray and give you a moment to uh, think and, and also say if this has uh, triggered or activated anything for you and you feel angry or scared or confused um, and, and, and or you just want to talk more about it, I'd be delighted to talk more about it just one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and in this lockdown, the way I would suggest that'll work is we just walk and talk. So we're allowed to walk and talk. So if you want to walk and talk and process some of this with me, uh, just reach out to me. Um, really, really happy to do that. Um, and if there are eight of you a day who want to do that, I'm happy to walk for eight hours a day and do the Bay Run eight times as we talk about God's healing. So uh, uh, just let me know. All right, let me pray. And then... Um, we might go straight into some music and then wrap it up. Uh, all righty, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we want to surrender our lives to you. And um, ask you to come and heal us. We, we thank you that we have a great high priest 
who covers over all our sin and brings us home and carries our burdens for us. And that this great high priest, because of his work, we have complete confidence to come to God with all our parts, all our brokenness and pain, all our dysfunctional, destructive coping mechanisms, our protectors, our managers and our firefighters, our all of that is just welcomed by you, Lord, and that is mind-blowing. And I pray that as a result of that, you'll help us to consider very carefully how we can spur each other on, that we can, we can understand what's going on in ourselves and in each other, and we can help each other grow as a result, Lord. May our church be a church that is overflowing with compassion and love for each other in all our complexity and all the multiplicity of our parts. And, uh, and I pray that now you'll, just, you'll, you'll hold us and contain us and be with us as we, uh, as we process this and as we process living in this uh, season of lockdown. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So I think we're going to go to some music, uh, just give you a bit more time to process if you want. And it's a great new song from um, Hillsong. Uh, uh, there's another in the fire, and I was initially skeptical of this, but the song is just a story about how God is with us in all uh, that we do in our lives, uh, particularly in the trials and the troubles. So um, just enjoy, worship, sing along, relax, and then Justine will bring us back at the end. Mm-hmm. 